today's guest on SOM Talk Live is someone who's been in the industry for a couple of years, many years actually, and <laughs> yes, many many years. <laughs> We're going to be covering a couple of different things as far as the music and business aspects of the industry. So, um, I'm going to let her introduce her introduce herself. And again, I'm your host, Ruben Wood, and this is today's episode of SOM Talk Live. So, go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, my name is Jalen Furby. In the hip-hop industry, I'm known as Jalen Superstar, the sexiest manager in the industry. Never worked in the adult industry as an adult star. However, I've done 
photo shoots with Roxy to promote our joint parties here, our industry parties here in Atlanta, Georgia, and in Macon, Georgia. And so in those in those flyers, there's a joint picture of us. And so uh, the Capricorn Cabaret series of birthday parties, that was something that we used to do early, early um, 2000, oh, early 2000, I guess 2010 ish <laughs> around that time frame <laughs> but yeah okay so now you did touch on uh, Superfit and the health and wellness side of things that you are actually doing so could you kind of elaborate more on that I sure can you know when I first when we first got our record deal with Koch Records now E1 I was 365 pounds and a size 26. Let me repeat that. Because <laughs> I know some of you are going to say, what? I was over 365 pounds and a size 26. So that's clinically obese. And it's not very healthy. And so my mother passed away at the age of 48 from a diabetic stroke. And that quickly made me look in the mirror and face my own mortality. And I decided that I wanted to lose the weight and that I wanted to change my life. And I knew I wanted to start a company and have a website and speak with people. I just didn't know what would be the best way of going about it. And so during that period, I came up with the term Superfit. And that was the name of the company. And we were actively looking at ways for me to stay healthy and then also engage the public. And so what I did was I started to change my life, right? Because I didn't want to go on a diet because I knew the first three letters of the word diet meant die, D-I-E. I didn't want to die. I wanted to live. And so I figured to do that, I'd have to change and have a consistent lifestyle change. So I immediately changed my life. And within the first eight months, I lost over 80 pounds. Once I saw there was some hope in sight, I said, you know what? I, I, I can actually do I can do this. You know what I'm saying? I can live this way. And so I continued, and I hired a trainer. And once we got the record deal and moved back down here to Atlanta, I was already in a size 18. And so I had lost a significant amount of weight before I came to the state of Georgia. And I continued that passion by investing in my company and my health and wellness business by taking myself back to school. And I attended Georgia State University, Department of Kinesiology and Health, College of Education. And as you know, Georgia State University is in the top 10 of the kinesiology and health and genetic schools in the country. You can't get a better degree in the state of Georgia when it comes to kinetics, biomechanics, um, musculoskeletal function, and understanding exercise physiology and the physiology of the body. And so being loving, loved, I love to be above reproach. And so that's what I did. I went to Georgia State. I graduated in 2013. No, 12, 2012. I already forgot. December 2012. December 18, 2012, I graduated from Georgia State. And January 2013, um, started my company and actually opened an office literally down the street from the College of Education and across from the Fulton County Courthouse on the corner of MLK and uh, Cortland Street in downtown Atlanta. And we opened shop and it started under American Kinetics LLC. We restructured the company and placed all the brands and the DBAs under the LLC of American Kinetics. 
Okay. So that's where the actual uh, sexiest manager came from because, you know, you went through the whole body transformation thing, right? No, I had that before the body Communication 
And some people can't. Because I'm also that girl that, you know, worked with our hip, <laughs> with the hip hop community. And so I'm able to communi- to create a level of communication that, that kind of um, relates across the board. You know what I'm saying? I, I, can, I can walk into any office and deliver a level of communication and articulate our mission, but also stay true to my hip hop roots. Right. So, how do you think someone Everybody can do that? So, how do you think someone can prepare themselves to get into that position? You know, once they've gotten themselves there, how do you think they should be prepared to handle all of that? Well, I think education is the key. You know, I just spoke at McConnell Middle School on Monday, and one of the things that I share with students when I have an opportunity to speak to them is that you can be above reproach when you have education on your side. You know, and I always use the example that what if I walked into the governor's office and was like, you know, whoop, shorty, I want to do these health fairs, these first up health fairs in the state of Georgia, we're going to give away free stuff, shorty, why don't you let us do it? Yeah, Ruben, one of the things that's really important, like what you were saying is, you know, how do we use 
that and why is education so important? One of the reasons why education is so important is because of my education, I was able to build a relationship in the state of Georgia that helps my company. Um, for example, you know, people, they look at ways to promote and advertise their business. Why well, spend $50? I don't know if you guys remember, well, you probably don't because you're too young, but back in the day, Easy e spent $10,000 to go to go to the White House. I don't know if you remember this, Ruben. Do you remember this? This yeah. is hip-hop history.
me the date and the time that I was going to be honored at the Georgia Senate. And I was presented with Georgia Senate Resolution and Proclamation for Educating the Public on Health and Wellness. And that pretty much opened the door for us to do business with the Department of Health, the Georgia Shape, which is a program that Governor Deal started, and also just with furthering our strength with our elected officials to bring these health fairs to the smaller uh, cities and counties in, in the state of Georgia. And so that's a big deal and a big honor. And it certainly puts us in the history books for Georgia. Since then, we've been honored, you know, by the cities that were in the city of Valdosta and Mayor Mayor John Gale, who presented us with a proclamation for that city. So, in the state of Georgia, August first, it's Super Six Family Field Day statewide, and in the city of Valdosta, October fifteenth is Super Six Family Field Day. And so we put on these events to support the community, and it's free for the attendees to come out. But Superfit is spelled just like our other companies. It's S-O-O-P-A-S-I-T-T, and so it's superfit.com. And then our main website is AmericanKineticsLLC.com, and it's just common spelling on American, and then Kinetics, K-I-N-E-T-I-C-S, LLC.com, and our primary phone number and business contact is 404-587-3504. So, uh, and you can hit us up on Instagram or YouTube at Superfit, and that's S-O-O-P-A-F-I-T-T.com, and fit, frequency, intensity, time, and type of exercise is the number one strength principle. We use that acronym in getting people ready to work out and also giving them a benchmark to hold themselves true to. So you're only as good as the frequency that you're working out, the intensity, the time, and type. And so you remember those things, you too can get on the path to being super fit. Okay. So... You know, I... Go ahead. I just think it's really important. So when it comes down to education in the music industry... Uh, do you think, from what you see nowadays, that a lot of people lack that? So what I see on my end, I feel like a lot of people have that because I work with producers who are certified and who graduated from Full Sail University out of Florida. And so they understand their craft and they take it very seriously. I would say 10 years ago, when I was working with the Hood Stars, and no. They didn't have any education, and they don't take it seriously. But I had to move away from that because it wasn't benefiting my business or my family. And, you know, it's not a hobby to me. And so if you're working with artists, and I'm not going to name any names. I can, but I'm not. But if you're working with artists who have absolutely no money, they have no budget, but they have a hit song, and you go to work with that artist and you believe strongly that that artist can sell and do numbers and you invest your own money in their career and you get their song on the radio, you get them some outfits, you shoot a high quality uh, video that can be played on TV, you get the song mixed and mastered, you get them out there to do promo shows. And mind you, they don't have any money, they don't have any, any investment in their own project. You pick them up, you take them to their shows, they don't have any gas to get there, and you invest thousands in getting them off the ground, and when they do their first paid show, in addition to 
your 20, 25%, some people even charge 30, 35%. Regardless of what your percentage is, in addition to that money that you're owed off of their first show, you also get to recoup some of those expenses. Doesn't mean you have to take all the money from that first show, but it does mean that you're probably going to get about 50% of that first show. And going forward until they pay you back for what you've invested. Now here's where the problem comes in. Of course, if you're dealing with uh, Savage MLK or Savage 123, they might not realize or understand percentages, recoup, investment. They may not understand all those terms. They may not even like it. But I can assure you this. Once you put their song on the radio, their head's going to be full and they're going to think they're the next hottest thing since Future 2 came. And they may not even have a regional hit. They might just be blowing up in their hood. And so for me, I know that there's a lot of people out there who think like that and work with people who are like that. I've worked with them. We just don't do that now where we are as a company. We don't work with those type of people. If you don't have a budget, if you're unable to pay us for the services that we're providing, regardless of their marketing, media, uh, management, what have you. If we're building a website, regardless of what it is that we're doing for you, there's a cost associated with it, and those monies have to be paid up front. Otherwise, we don't provide the service. So things are provided a la carte turnkey now versus investing in someone else's dream, and they may not even have the ability to, um, to turn a profit. You know, they may have a good song, but doesn't mean that it's going to be profitable because in order for it to be profitable, the artists themselves have to understand marketing, marketing relationships, um, making sure that they honor, you know, sponsors and brands that support them. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who are very talented who do not understand those 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 um, concepts. Right. So. One thing that you did just talk about as far as with sponsors and with artists. Now, with your years of experience in the industry, have you seen many or or at least a couple of artists get some type of sponsorship deal or endorsement deal and they mess it up because they didn't take it serious? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, I've seen that. I've seen people have record deals but didn't understand what was going on and called up to the label and the deal got canceled before the ink could even get on the paper. Wow. And that I will name, Pete Baker, 2001. We had a deal with for him out in L.A. And he didn't understand what was going on and he called up to the label trying to represent himself and because of the way he handled it, they didn't want to deal with him. Also, think about Chingy. He's not one of my artists, but Chingy was on Ludacris. He didn't understand how to uh, balance his books. He was spending money and thought someone was stealing money from him, and every time he checked his books, things came out right. What happened? He got dropped from his label. That was old-school music industry. People don't like those type of headaches. Nowadays, good luck. If you're a headache, good luck, because they're not writing deals the way they used to. And so... Where we are right now in 2017, artists almost have to have their project off the ground, have mega uh, digital presence in addition to already making money. 
So you don't really see a lot of artists out there just with their hands open um, like you used to. You know, I would say before smartphones and before the digital network to where everybody could just record a video and put it online and it goes viral. Just before that wave, you know? Right. Now it's a little different. You could record a Sunday, Saturday song in the back of a car with your girl and go, go viral. So things have changed, right? The game's changed a little bit. So how do you feel like that's affected um, the major labels since that has changed? Well, like I just said, you know, they're not writing the same type of deals. You see them doing more 360 deals. They're wanting to get a little bit of that pie. And they should, depending on how the deal is structured or what the artist has invested in themselves. So you have that side of things where you see the record labels themselves trying to tap into that money. Where before that money was just the artist free and clear. Now everybody wants a piece of it. Yeah, so if you yourself were an artist, would you take a 360 deal? Maybe. Depends on what it's for. If someone came right now and offered me a 360 deal for uh, the adventures of the superstars, children's book, and recordings, I'd probably take it. That's a, you know, that's in the red. I spend all the money on that. So I would probably take that deal. So it just depends on what it is. But if someone called and said, you know, I want a 360 deal on some music that's copywritten, that's been copywritten to us for over 10 years, I'm probably not going to take that deal. We own that. We own it forever. So why would I? Do you see what I'm saying? It's just based on what's most advantageous for you. If you don't have the budget and they're coming in and they're giving you a structured deal to support and put your music out there, zero times zero is still zero. But if they're bringing something to the table that you yourself can't provide, major distribution and marketing, then you probably would want to take that. Right. So how do you feel about the importance of investing for uh, artists and for businesses in general? We're self-funded and self-invested over here. So I feel very strongly about investing in yourself. I'm not a big fan about going to beg for investors. I have a lot of people who don't understand what we do as a company. They'll come and they'll say, Jalen, I need some sponsors. Can you get us some sponsors? I could. Doesn't mean I'm going to, especially if you're not a client. Why would I? You understand what I'm saying? If you can't find any money to invest in yourself, why would I go look for money to invest in you? Right. You know? If all if your own if your whole spiel is oh if you could just help me this one time I know this is gonna be the biggest thing ever. Well, why don't you take some money and invest it in yourself and make it the biggest thing ever? That's just how I feel. But you know, I'm self funded and self. We don't have an we don't have a financial investor. All the monies that have been invested into Superfit, American Kinetic, Superstar Management, It's Mixtape Mondays have been provided by Jalen Furby or David Weaver, a.k.a. DJ Super Dave. And so, for me, I think that people can find a way to do what they need to do. They just don't look for it. 
And these are the same people who say, I need an investor who will rock in the newest shoes, have on diamonds, and who smoke more than you need to smoke that could probably pay for their business, but they just haven't, you know, they haven't done that. They haven't, they haven't looked at those avenues for themselves. So, do you feel like as far as with small businesses or people who get ready to start a business that once they get ready to be vested into this, they automatically would need to have the investments or their money and stuff in order to move forward? No, I don't feel like that. that, that that's not been the history of our country. You know, I don't. I don't think that that's the case. And if you take a look at the Waltons and you look at Walmart Corporation, they lived with families right up until the point where they started the Walmart Corporation. In fact, they still operate out of the same building that the company been out of for years, and the owners were homeless at the time that they started the company. So no, I don't feel that way. Same with KFC. He started that well into his 60s, and he, he took his last $10 and bought chicken and went door to door to sell it. So, no, I don't feel like every business has to have a financial um, back backbone or have thousands in the bank to start an idea or a project. That's just not the way entrepreneurship has worked traditionally. So, how did you get into doing the business that you do on the media and the marketing side? Well, I've been in media and marketing since before graduating high school. My, one of my first jobs was marketing, marketing uh, surveyor uh, inside the mall doing marketing surveys for companies like Kellogg's and Pepsi. And we would go and we would speak with people and conduct surveys and then also ask them to sample products in white label boxes. Some of those products are on the shelves now and are doing very well. But before they made the shelves, there was some type of a market research done. And so I started doing that when I was 17 years old. It didn't take me long to figure out that you made money in marketing. Before having that job, I worked at Burger King and... You know, I was working on the cash register. If someone got sick in the bathroom, I was the only black working in the front at that specific Burger King near my home. I was actually the only black female working the cash register, period, for the whole, for the whole, for the whole company. And anytime something happened, it would make me clean it up. And so one night, uh, I just decided to say, screw it. Somebody got sick in the bathroom, like, you clean it up. I'm like, I'm not even on the station for cleaning it up. I'm on the drive-thru. I'm not on the cash Well, you still going to clean it up? I said, well, you clean it up. I'm quit. I quit. What are you going to do? It doesn't matter. I quit. The next week, I started working in the mall, and I worked with some of my aunties. It was their regular job that they used to pay their car payments and pay rent, and I started working full-time. So I was making a lot of money in marketing, and so that really piqued my interest. But even before then, at four years old, I had started my first company and made $100. So I've always been dabbling in business. My mind has just always been geared towards entrepreneurship. And I get it honestly because my, my father's side of the family are all entrepreneurs. I have one cousin who is a U.S. who is a senator, current senator right now. And 
you know, from what I understand, my grandmother was an entrepreneur. She owned her own business. So I really do get it honest. I come from a family of very well-capable people and people who've made their own way and, and didn't look for someone to give them anything. They just went out and made it happen. And so for me, it's just part of pedigree and part of who I am. So let's talk about some of the interviews that you've done while working in media. Because I know you've interviewed different uh, basketball team members and things like that. Mm-hmm. We can, you know, and, and we can piggyback both of your questions. You said, how did you get started? And let's talk about some of those people. One of my very first interviews was conducted when I was 17 years old with, uh, at that time, presidential candidate Jesse Jackson. I interviewed Jesse Jackson when I was 17 years old. Also, Karen Greer, who's here as a news anchor woman here in the in the city of Atlanta. At that time, she was my mentor, and she took my journalism class from Stahl, R.B. Stahl High School in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, the home of the Warriors, also the home of uh, Senator Tim Scott and myself, both graduated from that school. And at that time, Karen Greer took us to meet Jesse Jackson, and no one in the in the journalism class had a recording device or a camera. I was the only one. And so she just encouraged me. She said, no matter what, you get the story. I said, you just want me to walk up there and he's standing on stage. He was like, that's part of journalism. You walk up there and you get your story. And, and she asked that all the other ladies who were there from our from our school, she said, anybody else bought a camera? They said, no, just her. So I walked up there and I got the story. Walked right through uh, the Secret Service Walked up with my camera, introduced myself, and I got the story for our high school newspaper and for our yearbook. And so that kind of set me in motion. Uh, before that, I had interviewed Sarah Jessica, Sarah Jessica Parker. You know who she is, right? From Sex in the City. No, I don't watch that show, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> the big movie. She's a major, major star. No, I. I I interviewed her when I was 11, so that's part of my background. I interviewed her on Broadway in New York when I was 11, on her first show on Broadway. And so I had been doing this a long time. It, it wouldn't be until years later, until my brother DJ Superdave would get his record deal, that I would start to pursue it and take you know my, my aspirations to be a journalist seriously. Now, within the last seven years, that started to come into light by some of the interviews that I've been able to secure. Last year, I covered President Barack Obama at Senator uh, Reverend Pastor Clemente Carlos Pinckney's funeral after the Charleston Massacre in Charleston, South Carolina. I also interviewed Martin Luther King Jr. the third at that funeral, and uh, Al Sharpton, um, and a few other people that, that we got quotes from from that. From that, um, I've interviewed Kim Baysmore in the locker room at the Hawks, Dominique Wilkins, Dikembe Matembo, who shared a very important story about how his father passed and having to take care of his father after he was diagnosed with diabetes. Um, and, that, and that is a big theme of what I talk to people about. It's about health and wellness now. You know, of course we talk about other things, but we always segue into health and wellness. Bruce Bruce, the, act, the actor, 
I've interviewed him. And last year, I also interviewed Slick Rick. And he talked about his weight and uh, being able to hit the stage and keep the stamina to, to, you know, to actually give a good performance. Okay, so before we do let you go then, um, as far as getting into the health, what was the key factor as far as helping you to lose the weight that you did lose? Was it uh, eating better, uh, exercise, or was it just a combination? The key factor that helps me is wanting to live longer and be around for my nieces and nephews. And so the biggest thing for me is a lifestyle change. Because really nothing has changed except for my lifestyle, right? So and what I mean by that is I don't have any girlfriends that I go do a buffet with. You won't catch me sitting at the buffet eating all-you-can-eat crab legs and Chinese wings and all that stuff. I don't do those type of things anymore, you know? Um, also, just just the way I prepare my food. You know, I don't, you won't see me using a lot of um, pork. And said, I do eat pork, but you won't see me using a lot of it. The first three years, I was a vegetarian, so, you know, I do cut down on meat products, but I try to incorporate balance and things that make sense. It doesn't make sense that I'm going to go out to the club and not do a shot or have a drink with my folks and turn up. That doesn't make sense to me. I know I'm going to have a shot. I know I'm going to have, you know, drink or eat or do some things. But what I also know is I'm going to do it in moderation. And if I'm going out, then I know that day that I need to watch what I eat. So everything becomes a lifestyle change versus a diet. Okay, so... That's the biggest change for me. It's changing my life. One little bite and step at a time. Okay. So... We want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to give us an interview, and we hope that we can actually have you back on the show uh, in the near future. Well, we would love that. Thank you so much. All right.